call of Abram. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no children. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his sons, Abraham's wife, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's turn for our second reading to Luke chapter 1. As mentioned last week, we started working our way through Luke. And as a church, as we go through this year, we will have read the whole of Luke together. So Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in thoughts of their hearts, and he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Let's pray. Father God, you're a God of promises. You're a God of grace and mercy. So Father, this morning we ask that as we look at these words of Mary, that you would remind us of these things, that you would keep our hearts from staying cold, but Lord, that you would set them ablaze. Lord, that you'd fill them with love for you and what you have done for us. Lord, that our lips would declare your glory. So Father, please stir us this morning. Lord, you know where we're at with the struggles, you know if we're just weary. And so Lord, we ask that you would thrill us with the truth of the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to focus this morning on the verses of Luke chapter 1, verse 46 down to 55, which is the words of Mary. Sometimes you might have heard that passage called the Magnificat. That's the text that is sung and remembered. And this morning we've done some singing. But here's a question. Did you sing from the heart? As the words appeared from the screen, was your soul magnifying the Lord? Was your spirit rejoicing? Or, as I've known, was it just the next part of the service? Did the words in that sense go from the screen to your lips rather than from your heart out? Were you just going through the motions? Because this morning we're going to look at Mary's song, her words, and it comes from her heart. There's nothing forced. There's nothing going through the motions. Everything is coming from an inner being. We see my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. It's a natural and uncontainable overflow of wanting to magnify God. It's so easy for us to go through the motions. Sometimes we can just enjoy singing without even knowing what we're singing. You can go to the footy, you can go... And just sing with the crowd. It's the experience of gathered together corporate singing itself that can be a thrill, regardless of what's being sung. Sometimes we just feel it. We don't really know what we're singing. Yet when we're called to sing or do anything in our service, we need to be like Mary. We need to magnify the Lord. The word magnify has that Greek part in it, mega. When you hear the word mega, what do you think of? You think big. And Mary's not here saying she's trying to make God big. God is big. And she wants to tell the world about how big God is. That's where our singing needs to be. The desire from our hearts to tell the world and to spur each other on and to encourage each other how big God is. How wonderful, how glorious He is. And our hearts can dull and our lips just go through hit autopilot when the truths of God's word on the inside dull. We can be so busy with things that need to be done. So be consumed by the stresses of work or whatever's going on and the things of God sort of get shifted or the spotlight gets focused on other things and the word of God diminishes and the things of this world and the worries of life are exalted. And we wonder why our hearts don't sing 
And so this morning, I pray that as we consider why Mary is thrilled, that by God's grace, our hearts would start to sing again, if they're not singing. Or to remind us that as we meditate on God's word, that's the avenue in which we come in to sing. We need God's truth. When we sing, it's not singing is joyful and singing should make us feel joy. Joy is a feeling, but our feeling isn't based on something that's subjective. The joy that thrills Mary and the joy that should make us feel joyful is based on objective truths. It's truth that thrills Mary. And we need to be reminded of these truths so that we can be thrilled too. And so there's much in this, but three things that I pray that we can at least be encouraged by and have our hearts rekindled in that sense is God's salvation, God's exaltation, and God's faithfulness. God's salvation, God's exaltation, and God's faithfulness. And that as we consider those things, that our hearts would rejoice. So firstly, Mary rejoices because God saves his people. Verse 36, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why? Verse 48, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary rejoices in God, her Savior, who has shown her mercy. For God to be doing what he was doing was a work that he has done in a woman that he has saved. And so here we need to acknowledge that we disagree with what the Roman Catholic Church teaches because it's wrong. You might have heard the Magnificat. It's very big in the Catholic Church. It teaches things that end up having them focus on Mary rather than on God. You're probably familiar, but the Catholic Church teaches that Mary is without sin. That she's immaculate, which means spotless. A few years ago, the Pope in a speech was a, gave, that explained why Mary didn't age like the rest of us, because aging is a consequence of sin. And neither did she die. They have they teach what's called the Assumption of Mary, because she was not a sinner. She didn't die. She had her own ascension. So rather than the Magnificat being about Mary magnifying God, they end up drawing on it to magnify Mary. And that's tragic and that would grieve Mary because it teaches things that are contrary to the Bible. Mary's words, as we zoom in on these verses, we'll see that Mary herself will acknowledge, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Bible doesn't say none is righteous, no, not one, except Mary the Immaculate. None is righteous, no, not one. Every man or woman who has come forth from Adam is conceived in sin and born in sin. Mary was conceived in sin, came forth into the world in sin, and she rejoices in God, her Savior, the Savior she needs. The angel that came to Joseph, said the son Mary would bear was to be called Jesus for he would save his people from their sins. The essential work of God's salvation is to save his people from their sins. 
Mary needed to be saved from her sins and she rejoices in her saviour. Verse 48, she says, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. That word humble estate isn't about Mary being humble in character. She's not saying God has looked down and seen how perfectly humble I am and has seen how I stand out amongst all the people of the earth and so has blessed me. No, that's not what the word means. It's the opposite. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Same word is used in verse 21. I'll start at verse 20. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, here's the word, our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There we are reminded of our lowly bodies, the very opposite of glorious. And Mary back here speaks of her humble estate. She's speaking of her lowliness, her ungloriousness. She's saying, there's nothing in me that's worthy. I am just someone born a sinner. And she rejoices because God has looked down on her and seen she's of the earth. She's rejoicing because she acknowledges I'm not fit for heaven. It would be a sin to call me the queen of heaven. I'm far from glorious. There's absolutely nothing divine in me. I'm utterly unworthy of humble estate. And yet God has shown me favor. That's what we're all like. We're all unworthy. So maybe you could say that she was the most worthy of the unworthy. No. She was the least of those on earth. She was the lowest and most vulnerable in society. She was a little girl, poor and needy. She was a small town far away from Jerusalem in the north of Israel, from the sticks of Galilee. People mocked her town. They said, could anything good come out of Nazareth? She was no queen. She was no princess. She had no wealth, no might, no value in the eyes of society. She had no status at all. She was a poor, wretched sinner in the eyes of God. In the eyes of man, she was at the bottom of the earthly heap. Mary had nothing inside herself to offer God, and she had nothing outside herself to offer God. But God did an extraordinary thing that filled her soul. Filled her up on the inside to such an extent that she could not contain the joy. Look back to verse 30 of chapter 1. God sends the angel Gabriel, and the angel Gabriel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Closest word to favor is grace. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace from God. Grace is God's gift to us. It's something completely undeserved. No one can earn God's favor. Mary couldn't, and the blessing of God came upon her, not because she merited it, but as an unconditional kindness from God. This poor girl from the sticks of Galilee had, was a visitation from God declaring, you're mine. And she rejoices in God, her Savior. And God gave her the most extraordinary work to do. 
She was to carry the Christ, the eternal Son of God, conceived as a man by the Holy Spirit in her womb. Meditate on that. Especially if you're a woman, meditate on that. The eternal Son of God knitted together as a man in your womb. The creator of the world who placed the stars in heaven kicking in your womb. The sustainer of all things being nourished from inside her body. The son who would bring salvation to the ends of the earth hidden in her secret place. The savior who is both Lord and God would come out into the world when she, the nobody, would give him birth. She wasn't just another link in the line of privileged promise of God. She was the culmination, the fruition of it all. She was the one through whom the promised Savior came. She would hold his tiny little boy body in her arms. She would nurse him, cuddle him, and watch him grow to be a man who would one day leave home, preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and die on a cross the sins of his people. Mary gasps with joy. What an extraordinary work to be given. Who will ever forget the woman who was the mother of the incarnate God? From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here we are 2,000 years and we're still speaking of the extraordinary work that God did in Mary, the least in her society. The one before whom every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess his Lord, she carried. Through the centuries, God's people have praised God for his extraordinary, gracious work in the life of Mary and blessed her greatly. And so she says in verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. In all this, God is great. He's to be feared, revered. He's to be worshipped and adored. It would grieve Mary if people for a moment sought to magnify her. All she is is because of God's grace and she wants you and me to lift our eyes to heaven and give God the glory, to give Jesus all the glory. She's no different in one sense to Gideon and Deborah and Peter and Paul. They were all nobodies that God did a gracious work in. It was the power of God in them. Mary would weep if anyone worshipped her. Her song, her words are here that we might join her in worshipping God. God's grace in people's lives, God's grace in your life or my life is not so as to draw attention on us. It's to praise God for what he has done. So listen carefully, even eagerly, because this is what Mary wants you to hear. God took her a sinner, someone who who was a nobody, showed her grace, saved her and gave her the most wonderful work to do. And what does she cry in verse 50? And his mercy is for those, this is for you too, who fear him from generation to generation. She wants you to be able to share in the same salvation. You know your heart before God this morning. You know if you've come before him and been saved. 
But Mary makes it quite clear his mercy is for all those who fear him, not just for the Jew, but from generation to generation, wherever there are men and women who fear the Lord, God pours out his mercy. Does that include you? I pray we gather this morning, we come together as the people who want to give thanks to God for including us in his mercy. Have you acknowledged your humble estate? Confessed you're a sinner, that you have nothing to offer God, inside or out, that all you can do is cry out to God for his mercy, to look to Jesus, the son born of Mary, and say, please don't treat me as my sins deserve, that you might be spared from hell, and that you too then can share in the mercy of which Mary partook. Though you are a sinner and maybe even a nobody in the eyes of the world, God will save you. God will show you mercy. And from generation to generation, it's the same message, the same gospel. It doesn't tweak. The means of mercy is always the same by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we continue preaching the same truth, the same gospel, the same message that Mary sang, we sing today. And it's from generation to generation, we have a responsibility to make sure these words of Mary are proclaimed in our generation and then to pass it on, make sure that the next generation can proclaim it. And know this too, when God saves you, you'll have a work to do. I guarantee you won't have the same work as Mary. That was unique. But God will have a work for everyone whom he has called, he has good works prepared for you to do too. Works that as you carry them out, God uses to bring glory to his name. And so remember God's great salvation, the mercy that are yours in Christ, that you've been snatched from the flames of hell and saved and have a place in heaven. Really meditate on those and your heart has to fire up. Your heart will be thrilled to magnify God, your Savior. Second, Mary rejoices because God exalts the lowly, but he humbles the proud. God exalts the lowly and humbles the proud. So she started in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary looks at what God's doing in her life and says, God's done it again. God's done it again. Those who think they are something, such as King Herod, God has made nothing. And those who the world would look at and think are nothing, God has made something. Just as Jesus said, the first will be last and the last will be first. The focus is in there. Those who are proud in their thoughts of their hearts. Anyone who's proud in the thoughts of their hearts, you're awaiting a day of downfall. May not have happened yet. Some we are told will even go to the grave, but then the downfall will come at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Again and again, God reminds us in the Bible, don't put our trust, our hope where? In men, in kings, in powers, in governments, in authorities. No, put our hope in God. For in a moment, God can humble the proudest and most powerful of men. Mary knew her Bible. She knew the history. Turn all the way back to Genesis. You see a world that loved sin, a world that loved and reveled in evil, had pride in their hearts. They defied God and God destroyed the world with a flood. After the flood, the people were proud. They united themselves against God. They decided to build a tower as an affront to God, but God humiliated them. He scattered them across the earth. In the days of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king on the world, in the world, he was powerful and rich. Men feared him. He had an iron steel control and he became proud. He praised himself for his power and what he had built. And God humiliated him. God made him mad and he ate grass like an ox until the day he humbled himself before God. King Belshazzar mocked God in the pride of his heart. He took the vessels out of the temple to engage in idolatry and evil. He sought to defy God. And because he refused to humble himself against God, God rose up against him. And he died that night. Jesus tells of a rich man. And we should listen to this one because I think it would be hard for us not to include us all in this when we compare ourselves with the world. He put his trust in his wealth. In his bank accounts. He built himself many barns. He became proud and thought, now I can just relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I've got this. That night, God demanded his soul. He died. Or another thing that we do in a very rich and prosperous country, James warns us, be very careful if we live life making plans for ourselves, saying today I'm going to do this, tomorrow I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to arrange to do this, I'm going to go to such and such a town and spend a year there, then I'm going to trade over there and make a profit over there. How foolish God says. The very breath you're breathing now comes from God. You don't even know if you're going to see the day through, but for God. We don't live by our money or our power. We live only because of the word of God. Even if you're the most wicked man on earth, you only live another day because God decrees it. The rise and fall of leaders, of nations, of empires has not been a random process. It is God who is exalted and it's God who is humbled. Every empire that has fallen, it has been the work of God. He brings low those who are on thrones. The empires of today, the leaders of today that defy God, God will bring them down. Is pride creeping into your heart? Because you need to cry out to God to put it to death. Because pride will lead you away from God. Pride will make God your enemy. God opposes the proud. Notice not just pride in what you have attained, so you can say I'm wealthy or I'm rich. You can be very poor because it says he looks at the pride of your hearts the thoughts of pride in your heart, that doesn't matter where you are in the social spectrum. And if God can humble King Nebuchadnezzar or Belteshazzar or the world and the flood, have no foolish idea that he won't humble you too. It's a proud thought to think you're out of God's reach. The greatest wisdom you can have is to be like Mary and to come before God and say, 
whoever I am with whatever I am, I'm just a person of humble estate who is nothing before God. Because God does the opposite. God also exalts the lowly. King Herod thought he was the great chief in his day. But God went right past the throne of Jerusalem where he had set himself up. He headed off into the bush, headed up into the north to a little town to a girl called Mary. God bypassed Herod the powerful. He put him to shame. And the one who was shamed in society, God visited the poor, weak girl and gave her the great honor. His mighty strength worked in her small body. He set his mighty hand against Herod and he worked favor for Mary. And today Herod's been held, as far as we can tell, for judgment day and to go to hell, whereas Mary is with the Lord in paradise awaiting heaven. Herod had everything in the eyes of the world, but he was nothing in the eyes of God. Mary had nothing in the eyes of the world, but she found favor with God. Her poverty didn't define her. Her lowly position in society didn't define her. That others despised her didn't define her. Instead, she was filled to overflowing. She couldn't have been more full because she had found favor with God. Her identity was as a child of God. She had treasure in heaven. She was a citizen of heaven. She had a sure and certain future eternal life with Jesus Christ, her Lord, whom she was carrying. The Apostle Paul knew this feeling. It didn't matter whether he was hungry or well-fed, whether he was in prison or at home. He was full because he had salvation. God had exalted him. This morning, do you know the fullness of knowing that in Christ you have been seated in the heavenly realms? doesn't matter where the world sees you or where you are placed in the world. That is who you are. You have been exalted. And so where are you seeking your satisfaction? Your joy? Your contentment? If you or I look in any, anywhere other than the Lord our God... We will never know the joy of Mary. We'll never be able to sing like she can sing. Because it's when she had emptied herself and laid claim to God alone that she was full. You'll only know the fullness of Mary by coming empty and letting God do his work in your life. And don't despair as you look at the world. Maybe you look at the world and think, is it all worth it? All those people around us who keep defying God and the pride of their hearts, they're prospering. But God in his righteousness will humble them. We should weep for them, not despair, not envy. And though you are low now, God will lift you up because the day of the Lord is coming. He will acknowledge you before his angels and he'll draw you to himself. And as we share the gospel, are we hearing this? Jesus took the proclamation of mercy to the tax collectors, the prostitutes. He took it to the people who lived on the streets and the highways and the byways. And Jesus declared they are the ones who are entering the kingdom ahead of people who are wealthy and comfortable and have got it. Are we preaching the gospel to the least? And so remember, as Mary has grasped that God lifts up the humble. 
Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Remember in Christ how God has lifted you up. You're sitting on material chairs made of plastic, but you have a seat in the heavenly realms. Remember God's gracious exaltation of you in Christ and your heart will be thrilled. And thirdly, Mary rejoices because God keeps his promises, his faithfulness. Verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Israel is God's servant. That's how Israel is referred to throughout the Old Testament. But once Israel was a nobody, They were the least of the nations. They were a nation of slaves. But God had mercy upon them. He called them out of Egypt. He made a covenant with them at Sinai, but that wasn't the beginning. God made that covenant at Sinai because of something he'd done about 400 years earlier. God had met with Abraham. We read about it. And God made a covenant with him that he would be a father of a great nation, the Jewish nation. And God said to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to his Jacob, I will bless your offspring. And just as God chose Abraham, an idolater, God came to him sovereignly and graciously and called him to be his. So God was making a sovereign grace claim of his descendants before they were even born. He's saying, I will have mercy. In a world of proud and sinful rebellion against God, The creator of the world chose to establish a people who will be his, who will know his grace. And he called them Israel. And back in verse 32, Gabriel said this to Mary about her son. He will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary knew the promise. She was carrying the king. God had kept his word. He had not forsaken his people. And she was full of uncontainable joy. Not only was she going to have to wait, she was going to see him. The seed had come, knitted together in her womb. God never forgets his promise, no matter what. Though 400 years had passed from Abraham to Exodus, the promise still stood. Though 2,000 years had passed from Abraham to Mary, the promise hadn't diminished. Though God's promise made a promise to David and a 1,000 years had passed from David to Mary, the promise hadn't diminished. The promises of God stand fresh and true just as much today as when they were first given. And his promise is that his people will live forever under his king, Jesus. So how do we belong to Israel, the nation that God has promised and has kept his promise? Is Jesus your king? All those who have Christ as their king become citizens of Israel. All those who refuse Jesus as king will either be removed from Israel or have no place in Israel, God's people. We've seen in verse 50, those who belong are those who fear the Lord. Sharing in the grace of God, they receive mercy. Fear Jesus and you'll be counted as Abraham's offspring, the Bible says. 
You'll be grafted into the eternal tree. And Mary rejoices, God hasn't forgotten. Do you feel as though God's forgetting? Or have you maybe even feel as though you've just got God's promise and you put it on the shelf? Just feel like nothing happening. Or do you feel God is actively at work? His promise is real. His promise is being worked out now. It hasn't diminished. God hasn't even taken a back step. Say, I'll go hard at it for in the day of Mary. Now I'm going to step back. Then I'll go hard. No, God is constantly working to establish his promise. Don't let the passing of time ever cause our faith to weaken. Don't let the rise of godlessness and anti-Christian laws in our country cause our faith to despair. Doesn't matter what evil powers arise, God can humble them. And it doesn't matter how much time passes. With God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. We can sing with Mary. When David sat on his throne, when God brought the Jews out of Egypt, when God spoke to Abraham, it's as if God speaks those promises just as plainly and as presently to us today. Through faith in Jesus, we are offspring of Abraham. God has made an everlasting covenant with you. The mercy you have received will endure forever. The Jesus born of Mary has paid for your sins in full. He has risen from the dead. Death no longer lays claim to you. And just as he came after thousands of years to be born, so he will come again after who knows how many thousand years to bring us home. Are you waiting? Remember, God is ever faithful. You've been saved for eternity and your heart will be filled to magnify God. If you're magnifying the Lord as merely words, if they're just words on our lips and our hearts have grown cold, I encourage you, meditate on the things that have thrilled Mary, the truths that have kindled a fire in her heart so that when we sing, when we gather each week, we'll sing as people from the inside with joy overflowing, our souls longing to magnify the Lord and our spirit rejoicing in God our Saviour. Because God saves, God exalts, God keeps us. Blessed be his name. I pray, Heavenly Father, Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that we can gather today as your people with a sure and certain hope. Lord, please make your promises grow in our hearts and the things and the worries and the pressures of this world diminish. And Lord, may you put joy in our hearts. And Lord, we long to come together and sing and declare your praises genuinely in a way that brings glory to you. And so, Lord, please bring us your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.